0: Okay, so hey, uh, the Friday Women's Bible Study starts this Friday. So uh, just, a, just a reminder, the Women's Bible Study, that Friday Bible Study starts this Friday. Uh, two, want to welcome everyone in the overflow room. Just so you know, uh, the leadership of the church is intensely, intentionally thinking about how to make more room. So we're going we're gonna to figure it out. And that will be happening uh, and you'll get reports as we figure it out. Okay, so we're going to pray together. Our our um, our plan is always reading a psalm in the morning, finding some psalm that seems to uh, do an aha or grip me, and then use that in our prayer. And so I realize that we've cycled through the psalms uh, already, like once, which is kind of amazing, uh, because this same thing struck me a year ago. And it just hit this particular psalm in 18. So have you ever wondered, um, I wish I would grow like in loving God and loving people. How does that even happen? You know, how do you even grow in trusting God and, and um, worshiping him? How does your heart expand towards him? How does that even happen? Well, here's what the psalmist says. Here's what David says. The Lord, you're my rock. And he just starts mentioning all these things. Incredible images. My rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, second time, my refuge, my shield, the horn or the strength, my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon you because you're worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. I love you, O Lord. There it is. You know, when he becomes your rock, functionally, theologically he is, right? Right? But when he becomes your rock, the only way he becomes your rock is when you get shattered and you're sinking in sand and you need a rock. Now he's your rock. The only way he becomes your shield is when everything is coming at you and you are taking blows and he's the one that now takes the blows for you. He's your shield. It's these metaphors that only happen by you experiencing what they're not. So do you want to grow in the love of God, trust of God? If you are suffering, if you are going through difficulty, welcome to the human race. That's how you grow in trusting God. That's how you grow in loving God. That's how he becomes your rock. That's how he becomes your shield. That's how he becomes your strength. Amazing. So let's pray this for others as well as ourselves. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would be those things. For us. And so we know where we're taking blows. We know where the ground underneath us is sinking sand. We know the soul within us is not a refuge. We know that those around us cannot defend us. We know that this world is not the place for refuge. So you are. You're the only one standing. So we come to you right now and ask that you would make this real. And we ask for our loved ones and our friends, the person we're sitting next to, right and left. We pray this for them right now. We pray this, Lord, for the people we know in our life that don't know you. And they need you. And we're asking that right now, by our praying, is one of the ways by which you reach them. So we pray for them now. And then, Lord, we're praying for ourselves as a team of people, a family, uh, a covenant people, old archaic language like that, um, the church. Here, localized, we pray that you would unite us around the reality of who you are the rock, the refuge, the stronghold, the shield, our strength. And as we look at you together, uh, we're unified, uh, we're connected, we're friends. Uh, We learn to love each other, forgive each other, serve each other, uh, get in the trenches of life with each other, and what a wonderful way to live. So make us, continue to make us that kind of church, because you are making us that kind of church. And then, Lord, we pray for the sake of the community outside this church. Uh, We pray for Waco. And we pray for all the sinking sands out there and all the crushed arms and bodies from blows that they were never meant to be able to take. And we ask that you would help us make friends with them and that we would be able to tell them about the the true shield, the true rock, the true refuge, the only living God, the true deliverer. Oh, Lord, Lord let it be, let us be, let us run. Please, let us run and tell this good news wherever wherever you take us and wherever and to whomever you want. So lead us to those people, Lord. Grant it. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, so we're continuing in Philippians. We're moving right along. We're still in chapter 1. But there are many more to go. And very, I actually am, didn't know what to expect when I got into Philippians, honestly, because I've never preached on Philippians before. And I'm like being pleasantly surprised by the book. Uh, probably none more so than this passage so far. All right, so here's how we're going to begin. Can you imagine walking into a classroom, let's say a top-tier major university in the United States, like according to, uh, you know, U.S. News and World Report or whatever, the top global university of 2023 worldwide, Harvard. So can you imagine this happening in Harvard? Or Stanford, number three in the United States. So Harvard gets the world title, Stanford gets three in the United States title, uh, Duke, it's number 10. Just for some of you, I want to try to get a, a you know, kind of a smorgasbord of various areas of the country. Uh, Michigan, number 25. Uh, Baylor. Where's Baylor? Uh, 77. And then where's my alma mater? Where's my alma mater? UMass, what we call affectionately, Zumass. Baylor was what? 77. UMass is, my wife is from Baylor. I'm from UMass. 67, honey. It's not that we're competing, but we are. But we're not competing. Can you imagine walking into a classroom, interrupting the professor? How many of you are professors here at Baylor? Can you imagine this happening in your class? Walking, someone walking into your classroom, opening the door, interrupting your class, having 100 shocked faces in the direction of the person that walked in, and saying, hey, would you like to hear what the Bible says about knowing God personally? Can you imagine that in a United States university? (laughs) Well, here's how it went in Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, many years ago. The professor walks out of the class. Rahman, my friend, my new Christian friend, my translator, turns to me and says, oh, no, we're in trouble. The professor comes back to class, bringing two other classes with her and two other professors with her. So now there are 300 students and three professors packed into a room, and the professor looks at me and says, please tell us now how we may. How does that happen? Only Jesus. In another classroom, on another floor, in the same building... A friend of mine says the same thing. Hey, would you like to hear what the Bible says about knowing God personally? The professor of the class this time responds like she had been waiting her whole life for this to happen. She says, maybe you can help me. Can you tell me what this book means? And she has an English Bible sitting on her desk. This English Bible she has been carrying around ever since she was a little girl when she found it on the beach wrapped in a plastic bag... and wanted to know what this book was about. Because back in those days... there are countries that used to be called... the 1040 window, longitude, latitude, this whole strip. These were the most unreached peoples of the world. There weren't churches in these areas. People weren't hearing the gospel in these areas. These state governments were opposed to the gospel in these areas. So what Christians would do... is they would take Bibles, put them in Ziploc bags and throw them offshore of these areas, when they would go by on boats and ships, and one washed ashore, she picks it up, she carries it for 30-something years, it's sitting on her desk, she wants to know what it means, and we walk in and say, would you like to hear what the Bible says about knowing God personally? How does that happen? (laughs) Only Jesus... 3 years later Nancy and I are in Boston and I get this phone call now in those days it was a landline it wasn't a cell phone the only people who had cell phone they looked like like a they looked like you were walking around with a bazooka it was about this big and the people at BU had them because they were rich and the people at Harvard had them that was it nobody else had them uh, i get this phone call and it says quote Jeff would you like to be the speaker of the first bible conference ever in central asia and I said, yeah, uh, let me think about it. I said, hell yeah, I'm going, right? So three years later, I fly into Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan for the conference. It's packed with new believing students from all over Central Asia, a former unreached area, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan. First day of the conference, the five-day conference, I'm teaching on the life of David. Three students come up to me. You don't know us. I go, no, I don't. You walked into our class three years ago. We thought you were crazy. And I said, I wanted to say, well, get in line. (laughs) We are Christians now. And we just want you to know, how does that happen? Only Jesus. Today's text, well, let's do it this way. There's a song that came out, and I just heard it about a week ago, and it was breathtaking for me. I heard it on the radio, and I'm like, did they just really say what I just thought they said? And now I almost probably, everybody hears me when I work out, play it like really, really loud early in the morning, the whole neighborhood probably. It's Casting Crowns, has this song, and it goes like this. Make it count, leave a mark, build a name for yourself. Dream your dreams, chase your heart. We could add in our world, change your heart. Above all else, make a name the world remembers. And then the song shifts. But Jesus is the only name to remember. And I, I don't want to leave a legacy. Do you remember all the talk about leave a legacy, leave a legacy? And I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. Today's text sings that song. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. I want you to know, brothers, now this is plural in the Greek, so that means sisters. It's just the way they wrote back then. So I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that what has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard, now the Imperial Guard are the most elite soldiers in the ancient world, of the most elite superpower in the world. Uh, Think of a Navy SEAL. Uh, there's a, a movie that I just saw recently. I just finished it called The Unknown Soldier, story about the Finnish. There's this Finnish company that fought for three years against the Russians on the front line. And in the beginning, even before they pulled this trigger, there's this one soldier who's trying to stir up his courage. And he says, one Finnish soldier is worth 10 Russian soldiers. And the dude sitting next to him says, well, what if they come with 11? Yeah. Well, one imperial guard is worth 20 Ancient soldiers. And Paul is in the midst of them. 9,000 of them. That's what's happening right now. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment, literally my chains, is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters in Rome, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the ministry of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? What does it matter then? What ultimately matters then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, only that in every way, whether in pretense and truth, Christ, Jesus, only Jesus is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Lord, may you shine on the page and may the reality of only Jesus be the song that actually energizes us, moves us, moves everything about us. And only Jesus, you can do that. But that is the only way to live. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So today's text sings, Only Jesus. But many of us are having a hard time singing the song. I mean, let's be honest. It is a very hard time to sing a song like, Only Jesus? What are you talking about? Because all we hear in our own voice right now is, What is happening? though? What is happening to me? That's all we hear. That's what we hear. What is happening to me? What's happening to my loved ones? What's happening to those I care about? What's happening to the church? What's happening to me at work, what's happening at school, what's happening on the ball field, what's happening in the culture. The Philippian church, and remember in the introduction that we saw, the Philippian church is actually being addressed as the members, the regular attenders, the church leaders, the pastors, and the ministry leaders. That's who's being addressed. They're asking the same thing. They're asking what's happening. What's happening to me? Because what's happening in that church right now is that many are confused, uh, many are exhausted, and many are depressed because there's some strange teaching that's come into the church. And Paul, when we get to that later, he's going to address the teachers of the strange teaching as dogs. So Paul would be canceled today. We all know that, right? He'd be like Luther. I'm sorry, you're not allowed to say things like that. Really? Second, what's happening? What's happening to us in the church, what's happening in the church in Philippians, is that there's church division among the leaders. There are broken relationships among some church members. They were mentioned at the beginning, and they're going to be mentioned again later. There's bad stuff coming at them. They're suffering because the state that they're in, the state, the Roman Empire, is coming down on them in Philippi. They're also worried, and they're asking what's happening not only about me. They're saying, what's happening to me? What's happening to those I care about? What's happening to the church? They're also asking, what's happening to Paul? Because Paul is their founding pastor, and Paul is gone. Paul is missing in action. Paul has been defeated. He's imprisoned in the very heart and center of the evil empire. What's happening? They're asking. And in verse 12, if we could put it up, Paul says, I want you to know what's happening, brothers. What's happening, Paul? Here's a quick side note. I want you to know, brothers, what's happened. He's going to tell us, right? This is so important. I'm not even going to spend a lot of time on this, but this is so important. When you want to know what's happening to you, And when you want to know what's happening to others, and when you want to know what's happening in the church, and when you want to know what's happening in the world, Paul is saying, come to me, come to the Bible, I'm going to tell you. It's such a good thing, and it's such a freeing thing. You don't have to think about what you think is happening. You don't have to listen to your feelings about what is happening. You don't have to listen to the state tell you what's happening. You don't have to listen to the media tell you what's happening and the latest ideology tell you what's happening. You go to the Bible, and the Bible, Paul, God, tells you what's happening. What's happening? I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. There it is. Now, there are many things that are happening in your life, and there are many things that are happening to your loved ones, and there are many things that are going on in the culture, and there are many things that we will never know, and there are multi layers of things happening things that you're aware of, things that you're not, pieces that are moving, pieces that you don't know moving. But there is one thing absolutely certain that's happening to you, and happening to your loved ones, and happening to the church, and happening in the culture. And Paul says, the gospel is advancing. The gospel is advancing. That's what's happening. Everything about the statement is so breathtaking. Even just saying it, I can't convey the absolute, utter disbelief, shock, and breathtaking statement that Paul is making right now. Paul is within the gates of what Jesus called the gates of hell. Paul is defeated. He's beaten. He's imprisoned. He's chained, literally, to 9,000 Navy SEALs. And I know that you feel like, I mean, basically, it's over for him. It's done for him. It's finished. And many of you feel the exact same way. It's over for me. It's done for me. I'm finished. It's over for my loved one. It's done for them. It's finished. It's over for the church. It's done for the church. It's finished. It's over for the culture. It's done for the culture. It's finished. (laughs) And Paul, what's happening? The gospel is advancing. That's what's happening. Now, he's saying words that everybody in that world would know about. Because advance is a military term. He is saying, because he knows the city of Philippi is where Alexander the Great was raised and born. And where he went out and conquered the world. He advanced. And he is in the very heart, the very center of the evil empire. where the most powerful empire in the history of the world. I mean, the United States has been around 200 years. People still argue about how long the Roman Empire was, but it advanced. And Paul is saying, (laughs) while he's in chains, while he's beaten, while he's surrounded by 9,000 Navy SEALs in the center of the most powerful empire that ever existed, he is saying, (laughs) the gospel is advancing. It's the only superpower in the world. And so fascinating is he picks the present tense to say advance. And that means it's continually advancing. The gospel is continually advancing. The gospel is continually taking ground. The gospel is continually going forward. The gospel is continually reaching. The gospel is continually renewing. So it's almost like this. If you get in front of the gospel, you get advanced upon. Ground is taken. You are overcome. Overcome. The gospel is unstoppable. The gospel is unbeatable. The gospel always goes forward. The gospel always increases. It's like the gospel is living and active. In other places, Paul says, the gospel is multiplying and increasing. And you're like, how do I grow in the Christian life? What's the Christian life all about? What do I practically do? Get hit by the gospel, Paul says. Get advanced by the gospel. Well, what about everybody that doesn't know about him? The gospel is what reaches them. There's another story. I mean, I can go on and on, but just so you know, I talked to a group of Kazakhs from a village, and when I'm telling them about Jesus, well, I asked them if they wanted to hear what the Bible says about knowing God personally, and the you know, well, line I used to over and over and over again. And Roman says, they start talking and they're all going back and forth and they go next door and they grab a friend and they bring him in and they say, he needs to hear. And I go, okay, why? And the friends know because from this village, this boy was climbing a tree, fell off the tree onto a power line, was being electrocuted. And while no one could save him and no one could do anything about him, the friends watched the ladder on the tree move and knock him off the power line. No one ever saw anything like that before. And they said, he needs to hear about God because we all know that God did something. The gospel reaches, advances, you want to know, how do I get reached, renewed, the gospel? Well, how do I grow as a Christian? The gospel renews you continuously, present tense. This is not something that happens in the past. It didn't happen in your past life when you became a Christian, and now you've got something else that you look to to drive the Christian car. The gospel is the engine that advances in your life. It is the Christian life. So don't miss what Paul is saying here. Nothing can stop the gospel. That's what he's saying. You thought Alexander the Great was something? You think the Roman Empire is something? While he's in the gates of hell? Nothing can stop the gospel. And we think, well, what about the evil of the state? Nothing. Well, what about the evil of my bad circumstances? Nothing can stop the gospel. Well, What about evil people? Nothing can stop what about the evil in my own heart? Nothing can stop the gospel. So, Paul, what exactly is this unstoppable advancing gospel? Philippians 1.12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, what is it? So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What is the gospel? Only Jesus. Now we're going to unpack a lot more of only Jesus in the rest of the book. We're not going to do it all right here. But that word Christ, specifically, is unpacking an aspect of only Jesus that goes like this. He's the crucified God. Who are you, Jesus? I'm the crucified God. Here's what's happening. Paul is literally chained. So historians argue about whether it was a three-hour shift, a six-hour shift, or a nine-hour shift. Oh, well. But what he was is he was either literally chained to one of these Navy SEAL Imperial Guards, or he was in a room, and they were in the room with him in a cell in a room with him. I mean, that much everybody kind of agrees on. It's one or the other. So let's say this. Uh, Let's say it's a three-hour shift. That's eight seals a day, eight imperial guard men a day he's with. If it's six, it's four a day. If it's nine, it's 2.6 a day. I don't know how that worked. So let's look at verse 13. So that it became known throughout the whole imperial guard, 9,000 men. It became known throughout the whole imperial guard, 9,000 men. Did you think, and well, it goes on into all the rest. Well, you got to think all the rest. What's all the rest? That's got to be their families. And that's got to be like, caesar's inner state deep state the ruling elite it's got to be the powerful most powerful people in the world at the time and he's saying it's become known to all of them that my imprisonment is for christ so paul's like chained to this navy seal and he says hey man since it's going to be a long day do you want to hear what the bible says about knowing god Do you want to hear about the bigger, brighter, better Caesar? The real king with the real kingdom? Do you want to hear about this crucified God that is over-victorious more than Alexander the Great and that he left heaven to come to you who lived a holy life for you because you're not holy and because he died and was crucified on a cross and they're all like a cross because a cross is a slave's death. Yeah, a cross like a slave because you and I deserve to be. Do you want to hear about the king that doesn't demand that you fight for him, but he fights for you? Do you want to hear about the king that doesn't take your gifts and take your tribute and take your life energy and take it all from you on the battlefield? Or do you want to hear about a king that gives you his gifts? Do you want to hear about a king that doesn't leave you to deal with your sin on your own but was crucified on the cross until every last drop of your sin was finished? Do you want to hear about a king that doesn't leave you to deal with your lack of righteousness? Do you want to hear about a king that gives you his very own? At the end of Philippians, the second to last verse in Philippians, here's what Paul says. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. How does this happen? (laughs) Only Jesus. So what happens when you get what is really happening to you? Let's say, okay, so you get it. You start... Your eyes start being opened, and instead, you know, what's happening to me? What's happening to my loved ones? What's happening to my circumstances, the church, the culture, school, sport? What's happening in life? And what happens if you start getting what's happening to you and happening to others and happening to the church and happening in the world? What happens? You know what happens? You hear the song, Only Jesus. And what does that do to you? 14. And most of the brothers and sisters in Rome, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, they know what's happening now. They know that the gospel is advancing because they know that the gospel is advancing. They're confident in the Lord. Amazing. And they are now much more bold to speak the world without... The word without fear. The word means gospel, so they're much more bold to speak the gospel without fear. So what happens? These are three courage words. It's a really weird sentence. Three courage words packed into one sentence. So you have confident in the Lord, bold, much bold to speak the word of the gospel without fear. No more fear of making friends and having gospel conversations is basically what he's saying. Who doesn't want this? Do you know what happens when you start to see what's happening? That the gospel is advancing Courage, bravery, no fear. What a way to live. What an absolute, energizing, motivating, moving way to live. You walk into the center of 9,000 of the most elite soldiers in the world and the most powerful super country country, power of the world and you'll walk in no fear courage bravery hey since we're going to be here for a while do you want to hear about this is what can happen when you what's happening to those you love the gospel is advancing in them what's happening to you the gospel is advancing to you What's happening to me? The gospel is advancing in your life. What's happening to those I love? The gospel is advancing in their life. That's what's happening. All right, today's text sings only Jesus. Many of us are having a hard time hearing the song. First, we're asking, What's happening to me? So were the Philippian church. But they are also feeling deep in their bones what you feel deep in your bones. What really matters? Right. I mean, many of you feel it. You feel it every day. You can't find meaning. You're grasping for something. What really matters? What's concrete? What's solid? What really matters? What matters in my relationships? What really matters in me? What really matters on the ball field? What really matters in the music hall? What really matters with my gifts, my talents, my abilities? What really matters with work? What really matters being a mom? What really matters? The Apostle Paul is asking the same question, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking to afflict me. And then he asks the question, right? But we got to get to we got to understand what just happened before he gets to the question. He's going to ask what really matters. That's the question. But what he's doing right now is he's laying out for you and me two ways to be energized. Two ways to move a life. And there's only two. Isn't that amazing? It's so simple. So we can cut through everything that goes on in the inner life of a person, everything that goes on at your work and how you handle situations and deal with certain things. And there are basically two ways to live. There are two ways to be energized. There are two ways to move a life. Two ways to have your heart. It's thinking, it's feeling, it's experiencing, it's desiring. Two ways to have your relating and your relationships. Two ways to do all you're doing, your hard work, your effort, your discipline, the way you go after things. Two ways to do your calling, your vocation, your mission. Wherever God has placed you, there are two ways to do it. Two ways to be energized. First way, we can be energized. Our life can be moved by selfish ambition. Verse 17, do you see it? I mean, I know everybody looks at that and they go, oh man, that's I don't like that. I don't want that. Yeah, exactly. Nobody wants it, but everybody has it. It just means base self-seeking. It's the most basic energizer mover in life, and everybody comes into this world with this nature, self-seeking. The best way to think about it is this, you are needy. If Keller were here, he'd say, you're a vacuum cleaner. You suck. (laughs) You're needy. You need to be important, you need to be great, you need to be significant, you need to be somebody, you need love, you need acceptance. The theological word for all of this is, you need to be justified. Everything about us, our heart, our relating, our doing, our calling, and our mission is curved in. I need, I need, I need, I need, I suck. We are needy. When we are needy, what ends up happening is now we have to compete with everybody else in a bad way for all the potential providers of ambition out there. And that's why in verse 16, we have envy. And that's why in verse 16, we have competition or rivalry in a bad way. Competition in and of itself is not bad. I love competition. All right, what's the other way? Number two, we can be energized by. We can have our life moved by, you see it, verse 16, love. Verse 17, goodwill. Or 15, goodwill. What's goodwill? Goodwill is a will that works right. It's it's a will that does what it's supposed to do. It's a will that does what it was designed to do, what it was created to do. It's a goodwill. Think of it this way. What is love? What is a goodwill? You are not needy. You are important. You are great. You are significant. You have honor. You have glory. You have medals. You are loved. You are accepted. You are justified. When you have, so what happens when that happens? You are not curved in, you are curved out. Instead of, I need, I need, I need, I love, I love, I love, I live outward, I love God, I love people, I love stuff, I love God's world, I love the gifts and the things he has in it, I love to teach. I love to work hard. I love to solve problems. I love doing algebra. I love making music. I love listening to music. I love watching a football game. I love to compete. Do you see the difference? I need, I need, I need, I love. Why? How can you love? Because you have all the love and all the acceptance and all the significance and all the somebodyness and all the justification you ever needed. You already have it. Okay. Now, that's what Paul does in those verses. He lays that out for us. But he uses ministry as an example. Do you remember that? He uses preaching and church as an example. He says, so some are preaching and ministering and doing church to be loved and accepted and to be great. Others are doing church and ministering and preaching because they already have all the love and the acceptance and the greatness that they'll ever need. Do you see the difference? Which one do you want? Which way do you want to live? It's so obvious to all of us, but it's absolutely so difficult to do. So after this, after all of this, these two ways to be moved and energized by life, these two ways to live, Paul asks, what really matters? 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What really matters, Paul? Only Jesus. So even ultimately, your motives don't. And some of you need to hear that because you're constantly, constantly, constantly examining and measuring and trying to perfect your motives. Number one, it's never going to happen when you do that. Number two, the only way to actually get the motives is to actually get the gospel. I have all the love all the acceptance, all the greatness, all the blessings that I'll ever need. I now can go out and love God and love others and love work and love my home and love the worst parts about it. The pietistic part of our tradition exhorts pastors. When I first hit it, I was like, oh, I hate that saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, and I'm going to step on some of your toes. You know, it's that whole, I thought you were crazy. We'll get in line. The pietistic part of our tradition exhorts pastors, church leaders, Bible experts, missionaries, ministry leaders with these famous words. What your people need most from you is personal holiness. I kind of like the dude that said it, so I don't want to say his name. long time ago, Scottish Presbyterian dude. My answer, if he was standing right here, I'd say, no, they don't. No, they don't, sir. They need Jesus. Only Jesus. That's what they need. Why? Here's why. Only Jesus is unstoppable. Only Jesus advances in your life, other people's lives. Only Jesus advances in the church. Only Jesus advances at school. Only Jesus advances at Baylor. Only Jesus advances on the ball field. Only Jesus advances in your heart. Only Jesus advances in your motivations. Only Jesus advances in your relationships. Only Jesus does. Let's say your piety does not advance. Oh, great. You're a good dude. Get in line. There are a lot of good people out there. Piety does not advance. Only Jesus advances. Let's say you realize, well, I'm doing life like those two ways. Or let's, let's say you figure out an area of your life like you play pickleball like the, the first way. You're out for selfish ambition. You need, you need, you need. And pickleball is a way that you have to make a name for yourself. You have to be loved and accepted by being the best pickleball player. Or Let's say you realize you do that with algebra. You have all this pressure on you at school because you need to be loved and accepted, whether it's by a parent or your peers or just yourself. Let's say you come to an area of your life and you realize you're in the way that you need. You're the vacuum cleaner in that area. What are you going to do? Seriously, let's have an honest conversation. What are we going to do? Well, I'm going to imitate a holy person. Okay, okay. What does that look like? What does that mean? How does your heart change? Okay, right? I'm going to try harder. Trying hard is always a good thing to do. It's always good to work hard. Never going to say anything bad about that, but do you really think that's going to get you there? It's really going to fix that and change that. Uh, I'm going to discover some spiritual secret. Okay, good luck with that. You've got 2,000 years of people that said the same thing. And you'll bounce from tradition tradition to tradition to tradition trying to find the spiritual secret, just like everybody else did. I think that's how traditions are formed. Okay, well, I'm going to have someone like a spiritual coach, a spiritual mentor, spiritually yell at me to be better and do better. That's good. How's it going to happen? You're going to do what Jesus told Martha to do. Martha, Martha, you're so anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary's doing it. Only Jesus. You're going to do what Paul did. Paul said, you want to know how I live the life I now live in the body? Paul's the greatest man that ever lived besides Jesus. Here's how I live it. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. I don't need anymore and gave himself for me. I have everything I need. I have all the love, all the acceptance, all the greatness, all the forgiveness, all the guilt has been taken away. All the condemnation has been taken away. All the shame has been taken away. I have all the freedom. I have all the new life. I have the Holy Spirit. I now have the fruit of the Spirit because I have the Holy Spirit. I have everything I need. And now I'm no longer curved in, I'm curved out, and I lean into life and I move into life. Wherever I am, wherever He has me, that's how you live. Only Jesus. Make it count, leave a mark, build a name for yourself, dream your dreams, chase your heart. Above all else, make a name the world remembers. But Jesus is the only name to remember. And I, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. What a way to live. Let me pray for us.